Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. I'm Jared Kimber, and today we're going to be talking about arguably one of India's greatest ever captains and greatest ever players. Short pulls by Dhoni all the way. The man who has led his country to three major trophies in three different competitions and who mastered the art of the run chase with over 10,000 ODI runs. Peggy Bowles here to Dhoni. He goes again over long on two in a row. Here we go! Over the next hour, myself and Steve Harmson will be joined by a former Rajasthan Royals batsman and the author of his biography as we pay tribute to an incredible career of Mahindra Singh Dhoni. Anderson goes to Dhoni. That's called cricket. Oh, that is big for Nines Dhoni. Dhoni goes straight over his head. Oh, that's into the second deck. Goes long over mid-wicket. He ends it in one ball. The South India Derby finished with one massive blow from an Estoni. So one of India's greatest ever captains, MS Dhoni, has announced his retirement from international cricket. The 39-year-old is the country's most successful leader at international level, having won two World Cups and a Champions Trophy. He scored over 17,000 international runs and leaves a legacy as great as anyone to wear the blue colours of India. Alongside me today is a man who played against him, former England bowler Steve Harmison. Harmi, what is your reaction to Dhoni giving up his international career? Yeah, it's a one of, it's a one of not surprise because of you know, the numbers you mentioned, tells you he's played a long time, but um, one of great admiration. Absolute great admiration. He has been, I think he's been a great ambassador for the game of cricket. I think he's been a fantastic leader, um, arguably the best white ball leader um, of any cricket nation um, and a fantastic leader for India and somebody who not played the most conventional way, i.e. stereotypical batsman who you know, stands there, immaculate forward defence and when it comes to him with a wiki keeping and he's not bothered so it looks as though he's not bothered sometimes to bend down and pick it up and he just stops it with his pads all this that goes with Mahindra Singh Dhoni 
um, as well as you know the you know the, the helicopter shots and you know, the, the the amazing finishes to games um, that that guy has uh, has been involved in. Um, it's one of you know huge admiration and a massive congratulations on a, a what is a fant- what has been a fantastic international career. I find Emma Stoney such a fascinating character. So here's one for you, Harmy. He he plays a lot of online role-playing games. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know the names of them, but, you know, World of Warcraft, those sorts of games. And at one stage, he worked out that every time he was playing for India, someone was, like, attacking his, his areas. And so he literally went and hired someone uh, to play the game for him while he was uh, playing for India. But what he did was, is he, d- he d- told the person not to attack, but just to defend, just to maintain. He didn't want an advantage from this other guy who was obviously a really good player, who, you know, a professional uh, player. That's the kind of way that he thinks. And there's also a great story about the way he learned to wicket keep. So he basically learned to wicket keep with, with a coach who would sit him in front of the coach's motorbike. And the coach said, my motorbike's behind you. If you miss a single ball here, uh, you're in all sorts of trouble. And so if you look at Dhoni's wicket-keeping technique, it's all about him getting his pads and his body in the way, in a way that most wicket-keepers in the world don't do at all. He's almost completely met, you know, a self-made person from, from that sort of perspective. But you must have played against him, Harmy. Yeah, I played against him a few times. And again, you look at him and just think... It's not, is, he, is he awake in there? You know, but sometimes you don't want to tap him on the head and, think, and say, come on, MS, wake up. Because when he did wake up, he, uh, what, a, what, a, some boy, some cricketer. And I think it's been fascinating listening to people that knew him, people that played alongside him. And there was a, a couple of times where, um, where I, I remember one game, I can't, I can't remember where it was at. I'm not sure if it was Mahali, the test match. He was batting with a tail. I'm not sure. I don't think it was Mahali, but he was definitely batting with a tail. And I think Freddie was captain. I might have been Ahmedabad when I came off. Yeah, I think it was Ahmedabad. And I was, I bowled a ball and he hit it for six. So I thought, right, I'm going to get him a slower ball. And I, the, the, the old Michael Clark conventional average slower ball I had, and he hit that one for six. And I thought, well, he's not going to pick it twice in a row, is he? And he hit that one even further. Freddie's shouting at me, will you just hit the pitch and I was like I think I can get the slower ball I think I don't think he's picking the slower ball and I think in accumulation of yardage I think he hit my slower ball in three balls about 400 yards it was it, but he's, he was just that sort of you know that sort of character and that them three sixes he hit or you know the, you know, the destructive manner he went into he went from first gear to fifth gear in no time at all um, and you say about his wiki keeping, I think I think I read he, he, he was a, a very, very good football. He was a goalkeeper as he as he grew up, and he, he his football coach yeah. took uh, pushed him into into sort of into cricket and into wiki keeping. And I just think he was refreshing because he wasn't this sort of stereotypical Indian who had been um, brought up through the schooling system in and scored millions of runs, and he was going to be a, a child superstar. He is like you mentioned a self-made cricketer um, who was. A little, a little bit unorthodox, but uh, you knew when he was in the ground. I, I remember one day game, and you know they're, they're, they're singing "Doni, Doni, Doni" like that. And I, 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 Matt Pryor was at 45 in a in a one day game, and Matt Pryor's uh, me being my usual self, going wandering, thinking who's in the crowd and everything. And Matty Pryor's telling, trying to get me to move sort of five yards, and I'm only what 30 yards away from, him, and I can't hear a word he's saying. Um, and it's it was deafening, the noise when he came out to bat, um, and he was somebody a bit like Sachin, a bit like what Virat is now, 
He's somebody that, you know, the there's always this poster boy and um he didn't disappoint. He he didn't disappoint. He was somebody who was was like we've mentioned, he was somebody who was, you know, destructive with a bat, unorthodox, but very, very good with the with the keeping gloves and, and a ridiculously exceptional leader of, of men when it comes to both uh test uh, red and white ball. It's interesting when you're talking about the red and white ball. I mean, his his record as a wicketkeeper batsman still stands up. It's mm. it's not a bad record, but because of what he managed to do, especially in one day cricket, but then also T20 cricket, it's his Test cricket is almost overshadowed a little bit. Yeah, but when you when you look at his numbers, he averages 30, 38 with the the mm. bat in Test match cricket. There's a quite a few, there's quite a few England top six would like to average thirty eight at the minute, and it's. <laughs> I mean, as a wicketkeeper, it's got, it's still going to be in one of the best averages of all time. It's just that I think we thought he could even do more, isn't it? It's it's unfair to his Test batting. I thought he was a really good Test batsman. Yeah, he was, but I, I just thought he was a calculator, very very good calculated cricketer, somebody who. Weird up the options. He can see he's a deep thinker. By the you mentioned before the war games, the, the role play he puts himself in. He always was sort of challenging himself behind the a little bit like Vaughan behind the glasses, behind the mask. There was this deep thinker there, and he played the situation brilliantly. I mentioned before the, the three sixes playing, you know, hitting with a tail, or whether he came in and, and had to fight for his life and just battle and see his team through a, a passage of play and a period of play. Um, and he was, you know, you talk about the, you know, the leadership. You, you, you captain India at anything, or you be involved in the England Indian management. You can't emphasise enough how how intense that country is when it comes to playing sport and representing their country. And, you know, the, the closest thing, and you know, from a footballing terms, it, it it's about it's about ten percent level of intensity of managing Barcelona or Real Madrid. You have one bad game, cup half bad half a season and you're sacked you're gone this is you know you times that by about 20 and then you can get somewhere close to being or not even close to being what Mahendra Singh Dhoni has been over the course of his career as a captain but the lifestyle of the likes of Sachin and and um and what Virat's leading now there there is a massive riches when it comes to the financial gain but the sacrifices you have to have and the the, the way you have to live your life is is arguably a bit like royalty um and that is probably the biggest you know the 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 sort of biggest thing i could say about them because you know i wouldn't i wouldn't like that level of scrutiny i wouldn't like to be in the position they were in for for any level of money because it's it, it, i would imagine it being a very very tough place sometimes rewarding but very very tough and i think for ms to to to, to have that leadership for so long this testament that not only the person, no, sorry, the cricketer, but how good the person was. And as a white ball player, I mean, you, you know, you almost straddled the two eras of, you know, what the sort of player that Michael Bevan was um, and, you know, go through to MS Dhoni. I mean, Dhoni took a lot of sort of in, inspiration from Michael Bevan of taking the innings as far as he could and as deep as he could, uh, keep, you know, not worrying too much about the runway, knowing that if you keep it to the end, you can have a go. But what, Dhoni added to that was this incredible power and especially you know through the helicopter shot the ability to hit sixes off balls that were previously basically Yorkers and then suddenly if you miss your Yorker by a couple of inches to MS Dhoni somehow managed to get underneath it and you know hit it over long on about 30 rows back he did and he but like what you're saying there Jared it it wasn't like the norm because when when MS came into international cricket 
it was it was more it was like widely regarded that if your wicketkeeper could bat, he opened a bat. He came mm. in as an opening batter. Adam Gilchrist did it. We tried it with Garan Jones and Matty Pryor, and you know all the all these wicketkeeper batsmen were around. The batsmen then who batted seven in a Test match would go in first in a in a, in a one day national. But MS never really got to that level. He always sort of came in. He came in lower down. Yes, talked calculated how good he was, but as he was getting better at it, there was also a level, not only the expectancy on him doing it because from his teammates, but there was also a, a, a sort of, you're standing there in the field and you're thinking, oh, he's going to go here. And it, more often than not, he did it. And you overcomplicated it, second-guessed it because you felt as though you had to do something different. Um, and all he did was go on the bowler's mismanagement of the situation their, their difference of thinking, right, here we go again. And I'm sure Bevan was exactly the same. Bowlers going and thinking, right, once Michael Bevan gets to 15-20, once Mahindra Singh Dhoni gets to 15-20, how are we going to get him out now? And, you know, and it doesn't matter if it gets 8-9-10 and over, he can still he will still win this game for his team. And I think a lot of teams were resigned to the fact and I think went into their into their shells a little bit as opposed to trying to embrace it. And I think he, he jumped on that fact. I think you talk about the military side of what he had. I think any level of weakness in the opposition, that's one thing that Mahindra Singh Dhoni and the likes of Michael Bevan, who were good finishers, they had jumped on that fact. And um, he was he was probably the best at at that aspect of the game. 351 nationals at an average of 50. That is ridiculous for somebody batting in an area where you more often than not coming into the game and you've you've got to ele- elevate the run scoring rate and potentially take risks on losing your wicket. For somebody to average that amount of runs, 10,000, nearly 11,000 runs in 350 matches in that sort of pressure is, is phenomenal. You're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2, an MS Dhoni special with myself, Jared Kimber, and Steve Harmison. Arguably India's greatest ever captain announced his international retirement at the weekend, having scored over 17,000 runs at the highest level. It's been a career full of ups and downs, and one man who knows more about it than most was the man who wrote his book. And I'm delighted that journalist and author Barat Sundaresan joins us live from Australia on The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. Barat, can you... MS Dhoni is from Ranchi. Can you tell me a little bit about Ranchi? Oh, Ranchi is a, a, a tier two town. And uh, funnily, and a lot of people from Ranchi will tell you this, before MS Dhoni came along, they were actually better known for having the biggest mental asylum slash hospital in the country. And uh, so we just called a Pagal Khana in Hindi. And that's really what they were known for. They're close to Jamshedpur, which is the steel city, steel capital of India. So... Uh, very uh, industrial town. It's uh, it, it's got a nice vibe. Like I've been there once only for the book, uh, where I was like treated like royalty just because I was there to write about their hero. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's actually from some angles just any town in India, like any town, any tier two town in India. Uh, but it's got actually decently rich history. Uh, but of course, everything's been like overshadowed and overlapped by the Dhoni story. So wherever you go there, you'll meet someone who has some Dhoni story. His car parked here. He loved to eat samosas there. His ch- this chai is what he loved the most. And yeah, right now you can't go anywhere in Ranchi without being uh, met by a Dhoni story. And 
Did players come from cities like Ranchi before hand um, or were they mostly from the major tier one cities, if you will? Um, I think like a lot of time, like Dhoni gets credited for being the first small town hero, which I think is slightly unfair. I mean, people, even Kapil Dev didn't come from a major city uh, or what would have been considered a major cricketing city back when he did. Of course, like, you know, the Indian cricket history till the 90s was mainly uh, made up of guys from Bombay, Bangalore, Delhi, Chennai and Calcutta, like you said. But Dhoni actually came through at a time when a lot of guys from these little towns started uh, sprouting up, like the tier two towns. It also kind of coincided with, uh, you know, a lot of people in the bigger cities uh, getting richer and sending their kids abroad and more distractions. English football came into the picture and like, you know, ruined everything in the bigger cities. Everybody was suddenly a Manchester United Chelsea fan. Like Dhoni himself, like Dhoni would actually rock up for cricket matches as a kid. Uh, not not even as a kid, even for a domestic game wearing a Manchester United cap. And someone actually had to ask him to take it off and put on a cricket cap. So uh, I think that it, it he came around that time, like the Suresh Rainas of the world. Most of them are from the small town. And it's now just become a norm, really, because you don't see too many big city players reach the international level. Do you think that helped him as a, as a cricketer going forward? Because... You, know, you talk about Indian cricket and it it's been so intense that actually somebody coming out left field who you know is not obsessed by it and has got different outlooks of life and different ways of life actually helped him to cope with the initial pressure of being you know the the Indian cricketer and the the, the the sort of poster boy and then as it went on through his captaincy and the way he led his country you know having this obsession about cricket 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 could actually be to the detriment but actually his his other interests in his life were seemed to be apparent which i thought made him not only a better cricketer but actually you know a more rounded person from the outside looking at him oh totally steve i mean you just like hit the nail on the head there because dhoni never lived in that bubble yeah it really did help uh coming from a town like that and look i mean yeah he made his own destiny in a way but there were a lot of things that went for that Dhoni story. Like, he grew up in a in a tiny apartment complex, but which was part of a colony. But it was right next to a first-class ground. Like, how many people in India can say that? So he, to watch a Ranji Trophy game, which, as you know, is our, like, our version of the of county cricket, he just had to go to his uh, the terrace of his building and watch first-class cricket, which not many people would have had the opportunity to do. Like, I certainly didn't. Uh, and uh, it, which also meant that he wasn't, faced with the kind of competition you would get in a city like uh, Bombay or Delhi, where even now to get to the under-19 team, you have like, so I know kids who score, I'm not kidding, like around 12,000, 13,000 runs in one season. That's also the amount of cricket that gets played to even make it to the junior level team. So it helped certainly coming from that kind of an environment. And yeah, I mean, he is, uh, I tell people, he's the most real person I've ever met in the Indian cricket uh Scene like I'm not even talking about cricketers, even among journalists, as Jared would tell you. <laughs> so <laughs> he just always came with a lot of interest, like whether it was his interest in the army, which again wasn't the jingoistic, like India should beat Pakistan in every war kind of uh, interest, but in actually being a, a foot soldier, and that was his greatest interest. One of the most fascinating things I heard about that love was the first time he went to an army camp solo. 
the first thing he did was go and stand at the sentry post because uh, in the army they say that the sentry post is always given to the junior most soldier and he has the most responsibility because at night everything seems to move and if he has to shoot he has to shoot he can't wait for anyone's orders so he would do stuff like that so uh, that and like whether it was his interest in bikes as everybody knows now uh, he was obsessed with it uh, and just generally like uh, his interest in the little things like even stuff like he would never order if uh, for example a little table clock in the hotel room breaks down he would never ask for housekeeping he would always fix it like he was like a uh, one of those people always had a safety pin with him like he was always like active with his hands and uh, because he was like that i think it's allowed him to be real uh, and also not get too affected by uh, success and failure i mean we talk about that a lot in sport i'm sure steve you've heard that all your life but he for him it was a, a reality like it he believed so strongly in his own destiny that uh, he was never faced by uh, like failure because uh, it also helped that he came from a kind of family where he had to take a lot of decisions himself i mean he wasn't he didn't come out of poverty like a lot of guys do in india but uh, it was a lower middle class family where his father would work and his mother was a housewife and uh, everything had to be like you know he uh, he was the youngest but he still had to take all the decisions for himself which kind of uh, you could see why he became a leader because he was a leader all his life and you see his international career he captained for i think what 70% of the games he played in you're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with myself, Jared Kimber, and Steve Harmison. And we're speaking to the author of the book, The Don't Need Touch, uh, Barrett Sundarasan. Now, Barrett, he gets talked up as this sort of magical figure, but most of the stuff he does, whether it was his batting or his captaincy, was kind of very pragmatic. He was like maybe the most pragmatic, unemotional cricketer um, that we've seen lead a major team in a long time. He, he would weigh everything up. Uh, whether it be, you know, he'd look at a batsman and go, well, we have to spin the ball away from him or we need a left-arm seamer against him or whatever it is, and then just basically do it to the point where uh, when they lost the two, uh, 2015 uh, uh, World Cup um, game against Australia, he literally, when everyone said, why weren't you slogging? He said, we didn't have the batting to make that score. I, I just, like, you put it perfectly. Yeah, he was, he understood, like, the strengths and weaknesses of his team better than most people. Like, people always accuse him of not having been the greatest test captain. Maybe there is some truth to it, but you look at the bowling attack he travelled with. Uh, he, now, I mean, Kohli has the luxury of a, a Shami who has the experience and knows how to bowl in overseas conditions. Ishan Sharma has finally come of age in the last four or five years. That's where most of his selection calls were based around guys he could just trust to do a job like Jadeja and Ishan Sharma played a lot under Dhoni test cricket especially because he knew that he could just order them literally to uh, pull off whatever he wanted to do like you know the Jadeja he would literally I mean you guys don't know Hindi but we could we it was funny it was almost like Jadeja was like uh, he had a switch for Jadeja he would ask him to pitch the ball in a certain spot and he would do that like without fail it was it was amazing watching them function and uh, yeah and you know what Jared like that's that's really how he's lived his life as well in terms of uh, uh, like for example you know you guys have been to India you know we believe a lot in uh, uh, like horoscopes and palmistry and all that so the one thing he never ever does is extend his arm to a palmist because he strongly believes that I really believe in my destiny and things are going well for me. I really don't want to know what's going to happen in the future. or like. And it's not like he's not religious or he's an atheist for that matter. He goes to the temple like most pious Indians do. 
so uh, I think that pragmatism you speak about really echoes in every aspect of his life. And, and certainly as a cricketer, I mean, those run chases, right? His logic to take it to the end was not based on any, like, yeah, uh, like you said, not magic. It was just about pretty much taking it to a spot like where it's like a Mexican standoff, right? It's like either you nor me. And as the batsman, in a way, I don't have anything to lose. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's how he played his cricket. But because I think he closed himself up so much to the media and just, I think that's just his nature anyway. Uh, people always wondered, like, you know, what was going through his head. Even, like, the famous uh, act of giving Joginder Sharma the last tour, as you know, in that World Cup final. He had actually seen Joginder Sharma pull off the Yorker many times in, like, local cricket, domestic cricket. And he just walked up to Joginder and his logic was, look, of everyone here, you have nothing to lose. Like, you know, you're not going to play it too long for India. Uh, this is, like, a great opportunity for you. Just do what you do best. And, and it paid off. So, uh, yeah, most of his decisions were based on very practical, very common sense, really. And his leadership qualities were... I thought they were ridiculous. He was, he's up there as probably the best white ball captain that is, that has ever been. But he seemed to, it was weird. It was weird watching from actually on the field, but also from from afar. That for somebody who didn't really look as though he was interested in what was going on, he didn't sort of command the ball as a captain to sort of, and he wasn't animated and around the field. The amount of level of respect he had from not only the players he played with, but also. Event, not eventually, but very quickly in his career, the respect he had off the opposition players as well in the countries that he was going in. It, 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 there seemed to be that relaxed mentality of, of manner, which had a had a very sort of nice way and a, and a good way. And it, it wasn't a case of uh, an in-your-face sort of way. That seemed, to, that seemed to rub off and help not only his team, but uh, sorry, his national team, but he did in his IPL as well because very successful in the IPL, worked very closely with somebody a little bit similar when it comes to the sort of leadership in some like Stephen mm. Fleming, very, very quiet and, you know, seemed calculated but relaxed at what he did. What he did and it, it, from a, from somebody who played a, a, quite a bit against him, it just seemed as though he never really looked flustered and that from an Indian cricketer is uh, is ridiculous because I don't you know I can't emphasize enough to people listening at home what it's like to play cricket in India as the opposition. <laughs> but I would not have that's one one nation I would not like to have played for because it's one bad game and the world is ending. Oh yeah, and he learned that the hard way very early on in his career in 2007 when they were knocked out of that World Cup early. When um, he went home and you, you guys would remember their houses were stoned, they needed special security to even reach their own ho homes. And till then, he hadn't seen like a bad phase in his career. From the time he made his debut, the first five months were not too flash. But once he made that 100 against Pakistan, that 148, he hadn't like, you know, he didn't look back. And then that was the first reality check when he learned that it's like, like you said, Steve, it's not easy being an Indian cricketer because uh, not only do you have no privacy, uh, it's it's like you're always living, uh, you're always working towards making everybody else happy. Like, you know, you have to win so that uh, like, you know, I lost my job. So you better win a cricket match or I'll like, you know, get upset. So it's 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 a crazy environment. And. Uh, unless you're Indian, you don't even get it. Like I, I can't even explain it to you. So it's it's uh, it's amazing how he carried it. But like you know, when you speak about him not being in your face, he always found his own ways of giving back. 
like uh, the f- like one famous story that jumps out for me was that a 2008 Benson and Hedges trophy. Uh, uh, what was it called in 2007-8, Jared? The Australia Thai series? Was it the CUB series then? Or the, yeah, I think it was, wasn't it? It was a CUB series, right? So India, Australia at the MCG, they're chasing like 190. And this is when Australia were three-time World Cup champions, indomitable. Every win against them was considered an upset. Uh, and uh, Dhoni and Rohit Sharma are in the middle. And India need like 15 runs in 10 overs or so. So... He sends a message to the dressing room, says that, look, we're going to win this match. Nobody will celebrate. No show of emotion. And he calls this young Rohit Sharma to him in the middle and he says, look, when we win, uh, don't show any excitement in your body language. Just like literally hold your hand out like a limp handshake uh, when they when we exchange handshakes with the Australians and just look through them. Like, don't show any emotion. And the, his logic was, we're not going to show them that this is like the greatest day of our lives or this win matters. It's just, it's no upset. It's just us beating you in a one day. And that was his way of giving it back to them. And in that same series, Matthew Hayden would, like, you know, Matthew Hayden was being Matthew Hayden, basically. And he would go after uh, the younger members of that team, Robin Uttapa and the likes. And the story goes that uh, once Robin Uttapa gave it back to Hayden and Hayden finally shot back at him and saying like, like, you know, who the hell do you think you are? Like, show me some respect. You know who I am. So when Dhoni heard of this, um, he went up to the younger guys and said, okay, he wants respect, right? We'll give him respect in our way. So apparently every time Hayden walked out to bat or opened, uh, like walked out to bat in that series, he would get all the young guys to just walk around him, just saying the word respect, 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 respect to get into his head. So in many ways, like you said, Steve, he was very un-Indian in his way, but also very Indian in his way. Like, he was very desi, as they call them, in, uh, uh, as they call Indian expats. In the sense, he found these very earthy Indian ways of giving it back to the opposition and also kind of showing them that we belong at this level. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is being hosted in Barbados this June, which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series in Barbados, including England against Scotland and England against Australia. In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies. In the culinary capital of the Caribbean, there truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, truly the best place to be a cricket fan. 
சென்னை சூப்பர் கிங்ஸ்க்கு You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2, an MS Dhoni special with myself, Jared Kimber, Steve Harmson, and the author of MS Dhoni's biography, Barrett Sundarasan. Now, Barrett, Chennai Super Kings, they got suspended uh, for basically being involved in corruption and match fixing mm-hmm. uh, during Dhoni's time. I don't think there is any franchise in the history of cricket that is more intertwined with its main star than Chennai Super Kings. How much has, will that tarnish him? that they were involved in uh in corruption while he was there. Yeah, I don't think that's ever going to leave him because for all the fans he has or all the love he gets in India, there'll always be detractors. Like you know, I get it all the time. Like whenever I write a piece on him or even after the book, I was always like, "Yeah, but you didn't write about the fixing, no?" <laughs> so, it's just it's it's never going to leave him in a sense. And I think he personally didn't handle it too well. I thought right right after the 2013 scandal when there was a press conference, I remember being there in Bombay before they left for the Champions Trophy in England, uh he was asked a lot of questions about it and rather than say no comment or i don't want to talk about it he just sat there strangely not saying anything like just smiling and i don't think he of course i mean it it was a huge burden on his shoulders because it was like he was like the kingpin of the whole operation is what it was played out like a lot of conjecture about uh, his involvement well like you know the so far there is no evidence against him or like him even knowing about it but there is this thing i heard about Uh, him when he went to England in 2013 and like you know a couple of his close friends were on that tour and they didn't know how to like you know approach him they didn't know what was going through his head and apparently they walked up to him and he was just very normal and he smiled and he hugged them and they were like dude like isn't there like some crazy issue happening with you back home like how are you so cool and he apparently just told them well i've not done anything wrong my heart, my conscience is clear so i don't need to be upset with anything and similarly in that final itself 2013 final we keep talking about he did it in his own strange ways so when the team got into the huddle and like of course all these guys were like nervous they were in almost like some sort of a lockdown because of their team being in that turmoil uh, apparently he just looked around and he just told them guys we are number 2 and this was his way of like calming the situation down he said we are number 2 on the fair play awards uh, by the end of the night i want us to go to number 1 regardless of whether we win this final or not like so, and they the, i've spoken to players in that team they apparently looked around saying like what the hell is he talking about like you know like all eyes are on us we are playing in an ipl final when like our team has been uh, like you know everybody's questioning our integrity and he's talking about the fair play award so uh, it was just his way of uh, i guess like calming the situation down but yeah i think it's it's something that he'll have to live with but uh, like the fact that chennai super kings came back and won in 2018 and like you know and he, he's going to continue with chennai super kings for a while like shrinivasan was on record your old friend shrinivasan jared was on record a couple of days ago saying uh, he i'll get him to play for us as long as he wants to and i even link the timing of his retirement like it's been so much uh, uh, of talk about why he did it the way he did it and all that but it's again like i'm not surprised he he used instagram to announce the return of chennai super kings in 2017 like the the day their suspension ended he just posted a picture of himself with the chennai super kings jersey with the number 
uh, and with his dog strangely like saluting him and with no caption like you know no caption required so he's always used instagram he knows instagram is uh, way bigger than twitter <laughs> like he's his fingers always on the pulse of where the world is going he was the first to get onto twitter uh, and similarly like you know right now with the world t20 20 world cup postponed by a year like what better time and with the ipl confirmed what better time to increase the raise the csk brand than to announce your retirement and literally tell the world okay if you want to see ms dhoni he'll be only in yellow i think it's a perfectly timed retirement in terms of raising the brand of csk if they needed it and you talk about the sort of brand Dhoni and the person that that Dhoni is but there's people that he's worked with I work with one and I must admit from a journalist point of view it must have been a nightmare working with the Indian cricket team while Duncan Fletcher was was um was coach because you know Dhoni didn't say much Duncan says even less but people like <laughs> Duncan Fletcher and uh, Gary Kirsten um Stephen Stephen Fleming especially you know very sort of quiet characters very I'd say laid back, laid back guys, but very deep thinkers. I know Duncan, Duncan, how 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 he works, and that seems to rubbed off on Donny's leadership as well because he wasn't somebody like I said before. He wasn't a, a shout or a ranter or a raver, and he wasn't in your face, but he was somebody that thought heavily. How sort of close would did he work with these coaches and you know respect and listen to them? Yeah, uh, uh, it's interesting you bring up Duncan Fletcher. I have a little Duncan Fletcher story for you. Like so, his first assignment with India was. official assignment was a 2011 tour of the west indies and i remember being there and there were only like four or five indian journalists because not many generally had traveled to the caribbean and right after that they were directly going to england for the 2011 tour and i remember Dun- duncan used to be um, at the lobby at the hotel bar with uh, trevor penny and uh, eric simmons like you know chilling with the uh, with the team and towards the end of that series i remember walking up to him and saying like sorry mr fletcher you don't know me but if you think this is what it is like to be a coach of india you're going to be in for a rude shock when you go to england where there are like 50 people just breathing down your neck checking every drop that you drink <laughs> so uh, I, yeah i think and then eric simmons told him yeah, yeah he's right duncan so uh, su- surprisingly i think dhoni worked beautifully with duncan fletcher in particular and uh, there were even stories when he like you know randomly announced his test retirement in 2014 i remember doing a story where one of the things that had affected tony or he wasn't too happy about uh, in that setup like was when like you know ravi shastri had become team director and uh, virat kohli had captained the, that famous first test at adelaide and when dhoni was uh, i think uh, either injured or was like sus- I, i don't know what it was he missed the first test and when he came in and apparently duncan fletcher his role in that team had been reduced to just being like you know someone who would go and um, inform the players like who was dropped and who was not dropped so that really affected dhoni considering how highly uh, in the high regard he held duncan fletcher in and you're so right i mean the kind of guys that functioned with him and worked perfectly were gary kirsten fleming and fletcher because they they were strong characters they would speak when they had to speak uh but they could also let doni run the ship the way he wanted to when uh like you know when when they knew that he 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 was in command like uh even in that csk setup i've re- i've heard coaches talk about how if you really wanted to pass on a suggestion to doni don't do it like you are giving him a suggestion almost do it in a way where you give him an idea and say that what do you think about this ms because if you said something go and do this he would do the exact opposite if he believed very strongly about that like giving murli dharan uh, not getting him to bowl in the power play for example 
so, but with the media, uh, I mean, after that 2011 World Cup, what happened was because of all the bashing that he took and everybody took, he just built this wall between the team and the media once he became captain. And that wall, as Jared will tell you, it's just gone taller and taller. And it's become an us versus them battle ever since. Um, and like you know, that I think will never go away because he developed such a strong distrust with the media that uh, he just shut us out. But in a way, he changed the way we had to function because no longer were there any sources inside the dressing room. Like we had to find new people, new ways of getting information from the Indian camp and the Indian dressing room because. Uh, Dhoni literally felt that we had no place uh, in, in that scenario. He rarely did press conferences. And even when he did, he would do it when the team lost. And even when he did, he would give you nothing away. I'm sure Jared's attended many of those where you sit there for half an hour and he goes individuals this and individuals that, but you get nothing out of it. Mostly he talked about processes, didn't he? Yeah, he loved them. Like, yeah, or he would have these I saw crazy eight straight Indian losses, and he just kept talking about processes. Uh, it was it was incredible. You have to respect his uh, his ability uh, to do that. But Barrett, thank you very much for coming on. You can buy Barrett's book, The Don't Eat Touch, or you can follow him on Twitter. He's got a ridiculous Twitter handle. I won't say it out loud. <laughs> uh, thank you so much, guys. Thank you for having me on. Cheers, and Barrett. yeah, go buy the book. Cheers, Steve. Thank you. <laughs> You're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with myself, Jared Kimber, and Ashes winner, Steve Harmison. Coming up next, we'll discuss the impact that MS Dhoni had on the IPL and Indian players with former Rajasthan Royals batsman, Abhishek Janjanwala. Thank you, Balsia, to Dhoni. He goes again over long on two in a row. Here we go. Dhoni down the pitch. Over the field for six. Even a bowler of the class of Trent Bolt can do nothing when MS Dhoni's in this mood. Short ball by Dhoni all the way. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on Talk Sport 2 and MS Dhoni special with myself, Jared Kimber, and Steve Harmison. Those were just a few of the highlights from MS Dhoni's amazing career in the IPL with the Chennai Super Kings. So let's get more on this now with former Rajasthan Royals batsman Abhishek Janjamala. Uh, you're obviously of a simil- similar age to MS Dhoni. What are some of your first memories of, uh, of when he sort of came through? Well, the first time I think I saw him was probably we were playing under-16 cricket uh, because we came from very close life. I played for Bengal, he played for Bihar. So we always played the interzonal competition. So India is... India works very differently. So first, you have to play the zonal competition. So from every zone, we have five teams. So we had the likes of Bihar, Orissa, Assam, Bengal, and Tripura. So we played a lot of under-16, under-19 cricket together. Under-16, under-19 level, yes, we knew that he can come and smash the ball. But nobody ever thought that he's going to go out there and achieve what he did eventually. So it was, it, yeah, we... It, he, I mean, he could always come and hit big sixes, but the consistency wasn't there. But as he grew up, once he started playing first-class cricket, his consistent, uh, he was a lot more consistent. And then, obviously, once he started playing India A and India, he turned things around very, very quickly. And Abhi, was it the leadership qualities there at an, an early age with, with MS, or was it something you think he grew into as his life evolved, sort of looking at military stuff and things like that? But was it was he always a, a natural-born leader in that 15, 16, 17 age groups? I think, yeah, you could say that. Whenever you saw him, he was somebody who was supremely confident in everything he did, and his yeah leadership quality were always there. But that would come out so well 
eventually no one no one i think no one thought that is going to be that good later on but yeah you could see that he was always a very confident guy and what made him stand out from other indian cricketers because i mean he's obviously not you know the, the generation before him they're all quite different to him so what was yeah. it do you think that made dhoni so much different than those guys i think it was always somebody who was very carefree not careless but carefree if he was he's always had that attitude that i'm going to give it my best if it works out it's fine if it doesn't i'll do something else so i think that that helped him a lot because he didn't take anything too seriously in life but he was always aware of what was going on and what he needs to do but at the same time he was quite relaxed about everything i think that made a huge difference where he didn't put himself under a lot of pressure with with generally all the sportsmen do if you want to play professional cricket a lot of sportsmen like even i put myself under a lot of pressure of performance and all that and i think ms handled it better than most of the guys and the 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 ms the person you know we don't we didn't really get too much of ms the person he wasn't you know forthcoming with the media you know you didn't see him out and about in sort of lavish parties or anything like that what was the ms the person like because he seemed to have a a close group of friends and didn't really let let the outside world in yeah he's always been somebody who's been quite close he's he's been phenomenal with his teammates whichever team he has played for chennai he's been amazing uh, for the boys who have been in part of uh, that squad because i've spoken to a lot of guys and yeah i've been in the tournament for 4 years so you always knew that he's very he's always very approachable for his teammates but when it comes to his close circle i think that's very very uh, it's very hard to get in and the best part about ms is that he's still uh friends with all all the people who was he was he was friends with when he was 16 and 17 and his core group is still the same he hasn't changed at all even after being the most successful captain for india or even like one of the most successful in the world his core group he has kept it exactly the way it is so yeah i think that way we don't see him coming out too much in the media too much on even in social media you hardly see his presence on social media where others are there all the time i and yeah i think that's that's what ms is What about his impact on Indian cricketers? We we know that it came from Ranchi and you know before that it wasn't as it wasn't as obvious that cricketers were going to come from the smaller regional towns um as, as they did have. So it seems like he sort of unlocked something that has changed Indian cricket in a way. I think obviously he first of all he let uh, all the small town kids who are growing up in India now they are all dreaming that yes even if you are from the smallest town in India we can still go out there and play for india and achieve greater things i think he's he's allowed people to have that dream which earlier you would only see boys from the big towns like mumbai calcutta delhi would always go and play for india you hardly saw anybody coming from such a small town and with ravindra jadeja even he comes from a very small town in gujarat so a couple of guys who have come from nowhere and came into the scene and did amazing uh, amazing well for india has just given hope and dream to kids who are who are born in smaller towns and i think which is great for indian cricket and that's why we've seen such so much talent coming through the small towns in the last 4 5 years and you t- we talked about you know the the cricketer of of ms the person and what do you abi what do you think's going to happen to ms next is he going to stay in the game or will he go into the sort of you know the bollywood style i know he's you know he's got production <laughs> company and things like that but is there a is there an ms that wants to stay in the game or do you think he is he's had his his cricket and days he's going to move to to a new venture I think he's somebody once he stops playing cricket we wouldn't see a lot of him in the cricketing world that's my personal opinion mm. 
I might be incorrect, but he's somebody who will try and go out, out there and do something completely different. What what I know of him and whatever I think he would like, he's somebody who's yeah, he's done this. That part of me is over. Now I'm going to try complete something completely different. And I don't think Bollywood will be his way because I don't think yeah he's going to go there. But yeah, he he might surprise people by doing something completely different. You're a player and you know a peer of his, but you must have a fame uh, you know a favorite MS Tony memory. Oh, the favorite MS Tony memory, I think it has to be one of those. It has to be 2011 World Cup. Obviously, that was something which we all wanted to win a World Cup. But I think where he changed Indian cricket was 2007 T20 World Cup because it was a format which nobody knew. Uh, nobody knew how to play that format, and to for him to get such a young side. Uh, a lot of newcomers and to go out there and then win the tournament, I think that would have been a game changer for Indian cricket and for MS and a lot of us as well. You're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. That was Abhishek Janjamwala, former IPL batsman, talking about MS Dhoni there. Thank you very much, Abhishek. Cheers, Cheers Abhi. I mean, MS Dhoni, I think, in for cricket fans, we're going to think about him as this, you know, person who would time things Beautifully, I think Barrett's article about him is, you know, the, the timing of MS Dhoni. He was always almost perfectly uh, placed. But I think that if you widen it a little bit and look at his impact on, on global cricket, it, he's made such a big change to the way the sport is. I think T20 cricket would have been big without MS Dhoni. But because of India winning that 07 uh, World T20, which he obviously played a you know, huge role in, that, I think, took T20 to a whole nother level very quickly. And then the IPL on the back of that. And again, MS Dhoni has to play a big part of that. So it's not that he's just allowed for young Indian kids from you know rural areas to dream of playing for India. It's also that with the IPL and T20 cricket getting so big, we now have Afghanistani leg spinners, Nepalese leg spinners, you know, USA quick bowlers, all these different players coming around. I mean, he really has had a huge impact on the sort of the, the global nature of world cricket. Yeah, the yeah, he has been that that sort of trailblazer that you know the everybody seems to have wanted to go with. You know, you, you talk about characters of the game and the way the game has has evolved and moved, and a lot of it is down to individuals. Some some element some element of it is is luck and uh, being in the right place at the right time. Like for instance, the 2011 World Cup when they win that. Arguably, I'm not sure what you think, Jared, but I thought 50 over cricket was in jeopardy before that. Mm. I thought that might have been the end of, because the IPL had gone so well first couple of years, I thought that 2011 World Cup could possibly have been the end of the world of, of 50 over cricket. Um, and just amalgam, just all sort of go into, into sort of 2020, but with India winning. And let's not get away from the fact that India is where the, the heart of global cricket's at. It's where the money's at. It's where all the players want to play. Um, Intensity-wise, it's a ridiculous place to go and visit and, and play as a an international cricketer, whether you're playing home or away. Um, and some of these elements have largely been down to the leadership of, of MS Dhoni. I'm intrigued to see where he goes next, to be honest. I'm not sure you, know, you look at big market leaders, big world leaders that have been in the game of cricket. Um, and some of them have gone into politics. Some of them have gone into you know the the glitz and the fame of of going on the sort of Bollywood stage in in out in India because obviously that's just as you know just as intense and just as financially rewarding. But MS doesn't strike me as somebody who will stay in as an administrator like Ganguly, or uh, I wouldn't surprise me if you see sort of the charitable 
uh, element of of, uh, of MS Tony going to to go and to help people around the world. That wouldn't surprise me at all because I can't see him staying in the public eye as as a as a as a global entertainment brand. So I'm intrigued mm. to see what happens next. I'm sure he'll play a little bit more for Chennai, but um, he, he is somebody who has left his mark not only on um, individuals in the game, but actually the game itself. And very few people, I think, in the history of the game has done that. And I think MS Dhoni is is definitely one of the you know the top of the list. You know, it's it, 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 cricket's going to loss, but it's a, a huge congratulations on a wonderful, wonderful career. Great stuff, Harmy. My thanks to Steve Harmison for joining me over the last hour. You've been listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. If you missed any of the show or wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, available on Apple Podcasts, Acast, Spotify, and now on the free TalkSport app. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final, you can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you are keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.